the clock resets and there's zero days since mom (laughs) failed. Exactly. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. And she's like, mom, I already have a hobby. It's making annoying noises with my mouth. With Margaret Abel's and Amy Wilson. Harry Potter and the 267 times Mrs. Weasley was right, but everybody ignored and gaslit her. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I don't think I should be screaming and threatening my child to put him on a bus to Poughkeepsie every time he gets frustrated. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And this week we are talking about... When you feel like a failure as a parent, in my case, very regularly. (laughs) When you feel like a failure as a parent every day. This episode suggestion came from one of our listeners named Becky. She reached out to us on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. And she said, can you do something about feeling like a failure? I feel like I'm failing at parenting fairly often. Becky, you are not alone. No, I mean it's everybody. I would I would like to set which we don't usually do. We always solve the problem, but I would like to set an intention for this episode, Amy, if I may. I want us to stop doing this. To stop feeling like failures. I want us to stop thinking that we're failures as parents. That's my right. intention in this episode. I mean, I guess it seems fairly obvious, but I find this problem mom's constantly beating themselves up and feeling bad about the job they're doing as parents to be like the saddest and most pervasive thing about modern motherhood. And I I would like us to try in this episode to slay this dragon. I think that's a great idea. It's not going to be permanent. It's going to be a back to one thing. But listen, we got to stop doing this, guys. The feeling like a failure is totally universal. And I am interested in this because it's like, Everybody knows what you're talking about when when you say this, but it's also different from other jobs, right? Like you don't go, I don't think you think like sometimes as an associate development director, I feel like such a failure or like you don't have these sort of existential questioning of your abilities in your, you know, adult life, except in this arena. I think that's very astute and very true that like you really don't do that. You don't spend a lot of time being like, gosh, I'm the marketing director for company X.com. And yet I just don't feel, I don't lie awake at three o'clock in the morning being like, I'm not good at my job. Some people have like an imposter syndrome thing where they're like, I'm not the best. Other people are better. I don't really deserve this job. But this fundamental lying awake at night and being like, I'm not good at what I do. It doesn't happen in other jobs. Why do you think that is? I think it might be one reason might be that it's like the 24 seven ness of, of parenting. I think that's part of it, that it's never ending. You can never finish the chapter, finish the project. And and when parenting, it's completely ongoing And don't you also think some of it's just the weight of it? Like, who cares if you're not the best associate development director of company X.com? Like, fundamentally, like, if the company goes down, you'll just get another job. Like, (laughs) if you fail at this job, you're going to create, like, serial killing monsters who just ruin the world. And everyone's going to be like, what kind of mother did that person have? It's like the pressure of it is just so epic. You're right. It it matters so much. And of course, it, it matters. Right. You're raising a human being or several. And, and yeah, it matters. It matters a lot. So I guess the stakes are higher. The stakes are higher. And I'm also going to suggest that there are not giant 
social media pages in your face 24 hours a day devoted to people being the best associate development director of company X and like (laughs) showing pictures of them doing a great job at their job all day, every day. And like only feeding their kids like chia seeds. Like that's not happening with your regular job. That was the, 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 like the thesis of my book from, you know, a few years ago, when did I get like this? Like the whole, the, I really think that that once you become a parent, that there is an, an industry dedicated to making you feel off balance, unsure, like a failure, because then they can sell you stuff. Like, in, and you're right, it doesn't exist. Absolutely. And there is that industry that basically like preys on women constantly, which is like, you're fat, you are wrinkly, you have a weird face, you need to correct it with our products, with our makeup, with our moisturizers, with our tinters, with our hair color. Like there, there's a lot of industrial complex that's going into like, there are, everyone's doing this better than you, but product X will solve that problem for you. Mm-hmm. So like there's this feeling of, of and no matter, no matter how much you do, there's always one thing more you could do. There's always one more story you could be reading. There's always one more vegetable you could be getting on their plate or... I don't know. Like, how do you make, there's this idea that you have to make every moment meaningful or, or like learning infused. That right. <laughs> I mean, it's like the, the whole thing of, and people have written about this and we've talked about it, but like the idea of like, it's a totem pole somehow. Like it's a, it's a, it's a race to the top and you are somewhere on that hierarchy. And seeing other people do worse than you makes you feel better and seeing people do better than you makes you feel worse. And so our eyes are kind of transformed into these eyes of like, where am I in the race? So if you see a mom on her phone at the park, you're like, ha ha, she's not paying attention to her kids. I'm higher up the totem pole. Like that doesn't actually exist. I guess we judge other moms, but I think that the idea, like we don't, we don't think, wow, that person is really failing as a parent. Like we don't have existential crises about other people's parenting styles, you know, only, only our own, at least the people. Yeah. Although I do think there's some language out there that is like mom shaming stuff that just is there to make you feel better about yourself as a parent, you know, that like really bad parents make us feel like we're doing better. I just, I think that there is this constant sensation of the good mom race and where we are in the good mom race? Are we in the lead or are we in the back of the pack? And that it always somehow is comforting to see people who really stink at it because you're like, hey, I'm moving up in the pack. But that whole identity is wrong and misguided. There is no race. You're not in a race. You're just in a relationship with your children. You're in a race with yourself, right? Like it it starts with this, if, if you want what's best for your children, you will buy this, do this, have this, try this. And who doesn't want what's best for their children? Like, that's like, of course you want what's best for your children. That sounds, yes, sounds nice. Well, then therefore you have to do all these things. I do think you're right. We, we feel a little better when we see somebody else not doing as well, but the standards we hold ourselves to are much higher than the standards that we would hold some other mom at the playground to. Yeah, but for myself, there is, it, it is fundamentally unseparable, which is not a word, from the idea that like there are other moms out there feeding their children only organic food. There are other moms who do not let their children ever have iPads. Like there is fundamental to the idea. It's not just me and myself. It's like there are moms doing better than you out there. Whether they are mythical moms or real moms, like that's part of my story. 
do you think this feeling like a failure sort of thing that we all feel sooner or later is worse than it used to be? Did our moms feel the same way? Yes, they did. I've talked to my mom about this. They did. I think the social media thing, arguably, it's a double-edged sword. Like, I think that one of the things is that my mom felt totally isolated as a mom. Like, she had a lot of, she had three little kids, and it was hard to, like, even get us out, and it's cold, and it's New York, and, like, I know she felt very isolated, and in that isolation, there's an imaginary world of moms doing better. I think for us, we are less isolated because we have more sense of community, and social media gives us this whole second layer of community. But the flip side of that community is like, oh my God, look at that birthday party. She hand wrote all the little flags that have all the Disney characters' names on them. Like, So I don't know if it's worse or better. I think it's different. I think our comparison is more like one-to-one, whereas my mom's comparison was maybe a little bit more imaginary and maybe like, oh, she remembered like her mom like hand-making bread or whatever. And she's like, I just buy bread from the store. I'm bad. Like, whereas ours is a little bit more immediate. Like I'm watching my neighbor make bread. Well, I think in the 70s too, a lot in 70s, 80s, even more moms were staying at home, in the home, getting the message that that should be more than fulfilling enough. Like, you know, giving my children, you know, Wonder Bread makes me feel fulfilled as a parent. And you were taking in that message being like, geez, I I don't. You were more feeling guilty that the perfection of the home and your children's lunchboxes sort of wasn't enough for you. You felt like a failure about that. And now I think as women, we have more arenas where we can be ourselves, excel, achieve things, find fulfillment. But the standards for parenting have just become ratcheted up. We haven't, we haven't relaxed those. We've leaned way in. You're supposed to be better at work and, and have a better body and have better lunch boxes and better birthday parties. Like it's all, it's all been tuned up. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think the the fact that it's so in your face does make it challenging. As more women work outside the home, this was an interesting statistic. I saw this on Motherly. Heather Marcoux was writing about this, that today's moms, and this is, you know, research, today's moms are devoting more hours to work outside the home than the average mom, but they're also giving more hours to childcare. So it seems impossible, but Wait, what does that mean? They're they're spending more time caring for their children? Like the average mom in 1965 spent, you know, 18 hours a week on housework and, and eight hours taking care of the kids. The average, and, and, you know, two hours on work outside the home. The average mom in 2019 is spending, you know, 40 hours a week on work outside the home, 10 hours a week on housework, but like 16 hours a week taking care of the kids. That seems really confusing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how there are more hours in the day, but like as as women have spent more time on things besides the kids, they are also spending more time on the kids. So does that make them feel better or worse? Or do we know? It makes them feel worse. I think that she, well, she's arguing in this article that it contributes to feelings of failure. She's talking specifically about, I do think that there's ways that women who work outside the home feel like failures as mothers. And there are reasons that women who are stay-at-home parents feel like failures as mothers. She's arguing that the squeeze that working mothers feel is what makes you feel like a failure as a working parent. And it's because you have, you've added work into these things, but you are also supposed to spend more time with your kids than your mom did. Oh, and the absolute cry of the working parent, and I've cried it myself, and I have a lot of friends who cry it a lot, is like, 
you're bad at both. You know, you're you're less respected and less good at your job because your mind is sort of at home or you're splitting your time now. And you're less good at home because you're working. Like, it's like you never feel really satisfied in either environment, which is incredibly difficult. Yeah. And I, and I wonder, and do you think that working moms feel this more keenly than working dads? I'm going to say they do. <laughs> of course they do. I mean, I mean I'm not they saying do. they always will. And I know a lot of stay-at-home dads and many more. I mean, I don't know that I knew stay-at-home dads when we were growing up. It was like an unemployed dad or a dad looking for work, but there was no such thing as stay-at-home dad. Like, I'm not sure, and I think it's a totally different conversation, like whether these emotions are transferring to stay-at-home dads. I'm not sure how that works. But I do think, yeah, it's a challenge for both groups. It's a challenge for stay-at-home moms. It's a challenge for working moms. Yeah. And and for stay-at-home moms, I think it's, well, like I was saying before, it's another sort of feeling of failure when you are, when you're alone with your toddler and your infant all day, because this is your job right now, being with them you know, 18 hours a day and you manage to get until 5 p.m. without losing your temper and then you blow your stack at them at 5.15, you you are crushed by feelings of failure because like that's what you've done today, right? You've, you, haven't, you haven't also ran a meeting and, you know, achieved a goal that the world can see. All you did was take care of two little kids and you didn't do it perfectly for 18 hours. Therefore, you're a failure. It's your only yardstick you're measuring yourself by. And so it's easy to get really hard on yourself you don't have external stuff. I think that's very true. And I think, I mean, I have this in personal relationships. I have this as a mom. I have this, and it's so frustrating, the feeling that everyone has that you do 900 things right and you do one thing wrong. You know, like when I have a relationship that I'm struggling in, I often find myself thinking like, you don't realize that 900 times I said, I was nice to you. And I just, you just, drove me crazy and annoyed me. And I blew up at you the one time, but I did the 900 things right. But the only thing that counts is the one time that I was a jerk, you know, or the one time that I did wrong or the 900 times I did it right. It's just completely undone by the one screaming. And that's what happens as a parent all the time. I was exactly, I was thinking about the, the ways in which I feel as a parent or which I feel like I feel as a parent, like when this really like comes comes to haunt me. And that was exactly one of the ones that I, that I hit upon that if I, you know, when I lose my mind and freak out at the kids about something, I just did it yesterday morning. I, if I can go without doing that for, you know, longer and longer as they get older and less impossible, you know, moment to moment. But when I do it, it's like the clock resets and there's like, you know, a clock on the wall behind me, like zero days since mom (laughs) failed. Exactly. Zero days since our last home industrial accident. Like, yes, Yes. zero days since our last screaming insanity. You should all move out of the house screaming incident. Like, exactly. You need that, like that thing on the wall that's like, we have had six days since I last lost it at my kids. And it's like, oh, we're back to zero again. And the 86 or the 14 or whatever it was just gets erased and it's back to zero and I have to start over. And I totally feel like a failure. We have to start giving ourselves some credit for the 900. Like, because I was talking to my daughter last night while I was brushing her hair and we were talking about hobbies. And I was like, well, you should find a hobby, you know? And she's like, mom, I already have a hobby. It's making annoying noises with my mouth. And I was like, (laughs) oh, you're not wrong. That is a real hobby of yours. And 900 times 
I smile and find it adorable. But there is going to be that one time every week where making annoying noises with your mouth just makes me turn around in the minivan and be like, stop it, stop it, stop doing that until you start crying. Like that is our relationship foundationally. Oh, to have the confidence of a seven-year-old who's pretty sure she's really good at making annoying noises with her mouth, right? Like, Amy, Amy, she's not wrong. If this could be, I mean, if if there was an America's Got Talent for making annoying noises, she would be an international superstar. Let's look into that. So let's revisit our own failures, Amy, after this. KiwiCo is back as a sponsor this week, and I can't wait to talk about it because my kids loved their projects. KiwiCo creates super cool hands-on projects for kids. With a KiwiCo subscription, each month, the kid in your life will receive a project designed to spark creativity and learning. They have seven different product lines for everyone, from toddlers to teenagers and beyond. Amy, my kids got the Kiwi Crate and the Atlas Crate. They made three cool things, but the highlight for me was my seven-year-old made this grabber claw to pick up these pom-pom monsters. It was like a little game. First great thing, everything she needed was in the box. That was true of all of them. There were no surprises. Second great thing, my kids all did these completely on their own. It was really, really fun. I was blown away. My daughter and her cousin used a Eureka crate, which is intended for ages 14 and up. They were 11 and 14. They made a ukulele, like from scratch, built the fretboard. And now my daughter can play it. It's not this 500-piece scale model that sits on a shelf in a room. It's something that she continues to engage with and learn from. Yeah, same with my kids' project. I loved these. KiwiCo is offering What Fresh Hell listeners the chance to try a KiwiCo subscription for free. To redeem this offer and find out more about their projects for kids, visit kiwico.com slash motherhood. Guys, these projects are so fun. That's kiwico.com slash motherhood to try a KiwiCo subscription for free. Inspire your kid to see herself as a maker. Highly recommend. Beachbody On Demand is back as a sponsor this week. If you're like me, you discovered online fitness as a way to keep your sanity during these last couple of months. And with Beachbody On Demand, you get instant access to 1,300 different workouts you can stream anytime. I first learned about Beachbody, and you may have too, from P90X, which is an insanely effective workout, I will say. Fun and highly intense, but Beachbody also has yoga, bar, dance. There's a kids and family collection to get everybody moving. It's a huge, huge range of classes. And some of the classes get you results fast. By the time it would have taken you to drive to the gym, you did the 10-minute trainer, you're done. You can use Beachbody on your computer, tablet, phone, smart TV, anywhere you are. Listeners of the What Fresh Hell podcast can try Beachbody for free. You can get a special free Beachbody trial membership when you text laughing to 30 30, 30. You will get free full access to the entire Beachbody On Demand platform. All the workouts, all the support, all the content, totally free by texting LAUGHING to 30, 30, 30. Check it out. Amy, we're back. And it's time to talk about our failures. Let's just really go vulnerable. <laughs> okay, here's my current failure. And it's a real problem. And I just said to my husband, I have to stop doing this, but I can't. I have a child who is in a phase, and it really is a phase, like it started about four months ago, where when he gets frustrated with me or really anything, he threatens to move away. It happens, I would say, three to five times a week. It is sometimes in relation to something really bad, like me screaming and going crazy and him being like, I just don't want to live here anymore. It is often 
in response to being told to like take a bath or eat his peas. You know, it has just become a touchstone of his that he is moving out of the house. And for some reason, it's my kryptonite. Like it drives me so crazy that even though I have a podcast where I constantly give people advice on not over-engaging with annoying children, it's like my trap door of doom. The minute he says it, I'm like, I'll get your bag. Let's put you on the bus. Like, get out of here. I don't, it drives me crazy. And I immediately start fighting with him about like the fact that he's an ingrate and he should go ahead and move out of the house and go live in the cold. I see. I see. So that, 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 that like, it just pushes your buttons that he's not grateful for what, for what you give him. I find the fact that you would threaten to like abandon us as a household just so annoying that I am basically one of these days going to put him on a bus to like Poughkeepsie and be like, enjoy your new life, 10 year old. <laughs> and where's the part where you feel like a failure? Well, I don't, I'm not play? sure that's good parenting, Amy. I don't think I should be screaming and threatening my child to put him on a bus to Poughkeepsie every time he gets frustrated. Like, I, I haven't read a ton of parenting books. I know you do a lot of research, but I'm thinking that might not be the best parenting that I could offer. It's probably not the best parenting. It's so funny because when it's somebody else's kid, like I'm sitting here being like, that's hilarious. You know, like I'm thinking like, it's so funny that he's threatening to move out. Like he's really going to move out. And you're like, it sends you around the bend, but it's your kid. And and I guess it's like what it what it's really saying about you that he's finding your parenting not good enough for him or his what you're giving him isn't enough and that's making that's why it's making you mad and then i get in bed at night not feeling too great that i've threatened my 10 year old with expulsion from the home and a bus ticket to poughkeepsie and he's crying and i'm i mean i'm feeling like a failure as a parent like i i have to stop buying into it and I just have to get out of this bad mode that I'm in because I don't like getting into bed at night hoarse from screaming at my child, I'm going to put you on a bus to Poughkeepsie. Like that does not feel good to me. You know, I want you to, to have an image in your head of of Betty Draper sitting there with her cigarette. I'm so Betty Draper. I, I just need No, like I was going to say you're you're not Betty Draper. Like if like if Sally came to, I'm, I'm sure it happened on Mad Men, right? That at some point she, she said like, I don't care, I'm moving out. And Betty Draper would be like, like, okay, like- I feel like I am Betty Draper. Like, I'm just like lighting a cigarette and be like, here's your bus ticket, kid, out of here. Like, I just feel like it, it's just, and once, I, I don't know, I just have to get out of the mode of doing it all the time because I don't like the way it feels. You know, I have, my mom is one of eight children. Yes, big families. You're begetting and begetting, as my grandpa Billy Mac would say. Yeah, and and my Uncle Marty, who was one of the, you know, the many middle children, he was, he was pegged as the mischievous one early on, and he would, per my mom, sometimes, this, like, my parents' family is big enough that sometimes, you know, my mom was, like, not even living at home anymore, and she still had many younger siblings still living at home with their parents. Anyway, that Marty would often be on the front porch, and he would be yelling to the neighbors across the street, like, my parents are sending me to St. Michael's School for Boys. Like, they're <laughs> really doing it this time. She's upstairs packing, and he never went, but... And how is Marty a serial killer now or is he a functional adult? He's, no, he's, he's a very, he's a great guy, a grandfather. Yeah, That's yeah, making he, me feel a little bit better. I, what's funny too is like, I was a runner away when I was a kid and there was a story in my family once where I was like, I'm running away. And I packed a bag with God knows what in it. And I went running away, but then it was raining. So I went in our garage and I just sat in this, like uh, some old couch that was on the garage, in the garage. And I fell asleep. And so I was actually gone for like three hours. And so they started really panicking. They couldn't find me. 
but I had just fallen asleep in the garage. <laughs> I'm sure that when I packed that bag, my mom was like, good riddance. I, I come by it, honestly. Can I share my own somewhat related, like when I feel like a failure? It better be bad because I feel like yelling at your kid that you're going to send them to Poughkeepsie is really bad. But go ahead. <sighs> it, it's 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 like yesterday. So I, I have older kids. My kids are getting older. I have several teenagers now. Yesterday, we got into a like screaming match at the breakfast table over, shall I say, current events. And what sent me around the edge and made me like my regrettable self is that my two teenagers, boys, but teenage girls will probably do the same thing, are dismissing everything I'm saying as stupid because I'm their parent, but more specifically because like I'm a mom and moms don't know anything. And because they're teenagers, yes. I mean, and because it's they're it. teenagers, and I guess this is like developmentally appropriate, but they're like, you don't even know that. You're making up that statistic. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, you know, I, I like my statistics. I'm like, give me five minutes. I'll be back with the PowerPoint. I mean, talk about kryptonite. Who could challenge you on statistics? I love that. You're like, have a seat, boys. I will return with the PowerPoint. Right. And they're interrupting me. I'm like, you can't. And like, and so like my two teenage boys are like mansplaining to me about how I don't know anything at our breakfast table. And it sent me around the bend. And, and I realized that it's really, it's, it's their rejection. I have some extra bus tickets to Poughkeepsie if you'd like something for them. I might go to Poughkeepsie. It, it, <laughs> Maybe that's right. Maybe we should just go to Poughkeepsie and leave it, that. It, it, like, it's this, and I get this like, how dare you feeling, just like you were saying. But really, I think it's like, don't like, I'm smart. I have things to say. Like, don't reject everything I say out of hand just because I'm saying it. It makes me feel really bad about myself. And I felt like a failure, you know, once we all left for school. But I realized it was because they were rejecting me. And I have a, I have a parallel in literature. May I? You may. I saw this on Twitter just, just yesterday when I was feeling really bad about this. And it made me laugh because I'm like, yep, this is me. This woman named Anne Terriol, she put on Twitter, the Harry Potter, The Order of the Phoenix, should be called Harry Potter and the 267 times Mrs. Weasley was right, but everybody ignored and gaslit her because they'd all decided she was a hysterical B-word. So <laughs> I'm like, she's right. Like Molly Weasley was right. And everybody's like, oh, shut up. And like, she she knows what she's talking about. So that made me feel better because, yeah, like I'm, I'm like Molly Weasley and my kids think it's their job to be like, stop being so stupid, mom. You don't know anything even about things I know about. Well, I'm going to give you the flip side of feeling like a failure on this because I think it's important. You said in a recent episode that your husband had to like sort of correct the family and be like, I don't like being the butt of the dad joke. Like, I don't like being like, dad doesn't know anything. And that that was like a correction you made as a family. And I find that my kryptonite is like, mom's an idiot. Like I, I will not stand for that. Like I will not be spoken to that way in my house. And some of this is, although perhaps the methodology behind it could change, I don't think that I'm fundamentally wrong. Like I am not going to spend my life taking care of these kids making, I don't like to cook. I cook two, sometimes three meals a day, every single day. I don't like to cook. I would have never cooked a meal if it wasn't for this cleaning up. I don't like to clean. I don't like to keep a house. If I lived by myself, I would live in like a crazy hovel and like it would be fine. I do all of these things for other people because I have taken it on as my responsibility, but I'm not going to live my life that way and then be talked to like an idiot. 
it's a no for me. Right. It, it, it makes me furious, but I think it's because I do internalize it. You know, why does it bother me so much? Because I, because they're rejecting me and I'm feeling it. You should internalize it. You're doing yeah. like, you're smart, you're educated. The fact that you cook and clean and do the laundry and help these boys exist does not mean that you're an idiot and you should not be spoken to that way in your house. And so I think that we just need to reframe it a little bit in our minds of like, oh, I lost it as a mom. Maybe, but on the flip side, like my boys are being raised by a woman who is not going to be spoken to like an idiot. And they are not going to go out into the world speaking to women like idiots if I have any say in it. And so I do think part of the feeling like a failure is slightly reframing it. Like, should I be shrieking at a 10-year-old boy? Like, here's your bus ticket to Poughkeepsie, get out. No, fair, I should not. But I don't think it's fundamentally wrong for me to be saying to my 10-year-old, you may not disrespect the effort and the work that I put into your life by every time I try to discipline you threatening to leave this house. That's not happening on my watch. It's not okay. And so can I fix the methodology? Can I reset the way I'm framing it? Can I stop engaging with all the insanity? Yes, but I'm not a failure. I'm not fundamentally wrong. I'm correct. Right. I'm not a failure for having gotten upset. Right. And I'm not, and, and I'm not a failure just because they're treating me like one. <laughs> right. And, and the fact is I cook 350 meals a year. I don't want to cook. If it was, if I live my own lifestyle, according to my own rules, it would be Indian food taken every single night. Like I do those things. And so the fact that I order pizza twice in a week is not a failure. It's compared to the 300 other meals that I actually cooked that I didn't want to cook. Like <laughs> I, you just need to reframe your thought process sometimes with this stuff because like I'm batting a thousand over here, people. Like I don't want to make any of these meals. If I made five meals, you should be grateful. I make 300. There's another whole other arena in, 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 which, in which we can sometimes feel like failures. Let me see if this rings true for you. And it's when our kids fail or struggle horrible. This is the worst for me. Right. And it's because I think we talked about this in episode 61, which is how not to live through our kids. We talked about what, what psychologists call symbolic self-completion theory. And it's like why we're really invested in our kids, maybe a little bit too much. Like if they have a solo in the chorus concert, we like are putting it on Facebook and like t in, in taking in the praise as if it's about ourselves, because it really is like our children are like, you know, they're little ourselves. Right. And social media posts of like your kid reading like, I mean, I literally, my, my oldest, who's going to move to Poughkeepsie soon, he is obsessed. He's gotten into a thing by being really like interested in Martin Luther King for whatever reason. And so... Friday night movie night, we watched the movie Selma. Really not meant for 10-year-olds, just for anyone out there listening. But and he, I bought him these like series of like somewhat advanced books about Martin Luther King. And he struggles with a lot of things. And I was like, I was so overcome by this temptation to be like, I'm watching Selma with my kid. Oh, uh, my kid's reading the biography of, Malcolm, of uh, Martin Luther King. It's very impressive. And like put those things on social media because I was feeling that like, rabbit touching the pellet of like, oh my God, look at what my kid's doing. It's so advanced. And like, the reality is my kid is a struggling reader. He has some learning differences. <laughs> like he struggles in a lot of ways. And I stopped myself from being like, I'm going to put pictures of my kid watching Selma on Facebook so that people give me the reward of like, oh, my kid would never watch Selma. That's a very advanced movie for a 10 year old. It's like, what am I doing? But that need to be like, my kid excelled at something is 
it's so overwhelming and undeniable. And then, then the flip side is like when your kid is, you know, batting ninth out of nine on the baseball team. and Right. Then it's your secret shame. And then cries and like, yeah, like you, you feel their failure keenly. Or I mean, I'm thinking of things that are have higher stakes too. Like your kid is not succeeding in school. Your kid, you know, is hitting somebody every day in the block corner at preschool. Your kid's a biter. I had a biter, guys. But that there's no greater shame than a kid who's a biter. Oh my God. Yeah. My oldest had a, a brief biting moment. Yeah. It's like you might as well just move to like Guam and change your name. Like your kid's a biter. Shame. It's like they in um, Game of Thrones yeah, the with, shame the, with the nun banging the gong. Shame. Exactly. The shame nun comes out when your kid bites. The shame nun. And yeah, when your kid's like a bad kid, yeah, you feel you feel that failure so keenly. But I, I, how I try to reframe that for myself is like, if you didn't feel bad about your kid being the biter or being the one who hits every day or, you know, not succeeding in whatever they're not succeeding at, then you really would be a bad parent if you were indifferent to these things. That you care about your child, you know, finding something he wants to read about means that you are a good parent. If you were a bad parent, you'd be indifferent to whether he was reading or not. Amy, I agree with you, but I have another take on this. We'll be right back. Bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I am actually happy when I open my sock drawer and I see those Bombas peeking out. Amy, they spark joy. I'm glad to hear that. And you wouldn't think that socks could spark joy, but I know that you're right because I feel the same way. I mean, who would have thought it, Amy? Who would have thunk it? They're like a little bit of happiness in my morning when I have Bombas to put on because they they just get all the little details right. The cotton is snugly in a way that I can't fully express. There's no toe seam. <laughs> and there's a part across the middle that's like knit a little differently so it sort of hugs the arch of your foot. It makes me happy and I don't care what people say. I love Bombas. I want you to work on expressing about the toe seam, Amy. That's an assignment for <laughs> okay. you. These socks do more than keep your feet cozy though, Amy. For every pair you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. We're talking 34 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of three thousand giving partners. Give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash laughing. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash laughing for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash laughing. Sure, some moms do it all and we're all for that, but we are also here for those moms who maybe aren't acing their mom game every single day. And now, some shout outs for all you just okay moms out there from the What Fresh Hell podcast. Hey, just getting by mom, you only forgot to pick up your kids from school one day this month. That's almost certainly better than some other mom out there somewhere. Listen, disorganized mom, the thing to remember is that you took your kid to the birthday party. The fact that you had no gift and were also there on the wrong day are problems, but you did try. So we say, go you. Heads up, lazy mom. We don't think you're bailing on cooking dinner. We think you are doing your part to keep the pizza delivery economy of this great nation humming. Thanks, friend. Yo, slacker mom. Sure, one of those fancy PTA moms ran a fundraiser that raised like 10 grand to fund a whole new tech department at her elementary school. But look at you. You've practically funded a new wing of the town library by racking up giant fines every month for that copy of the third Harry Potter book your kid can't seem to find. We salute you. Helicopter moms are the worst, right? 
That's not you, distracted mom. You spent your kids' entire soccer tournament scrolling through Instagram and Facebook and missed two goals and an assist by your kiddo. Way to help them develop an independent mindset. Oh, yeah, PJ mom. Those pajamas totally look like pants to us. Someone glared at your robe at school drop-off? Not us, baby. We think you're totally pulling off those slippers as hip, fuzzy clogs. Okay, so you're saying, yes, feeling concern over your kids' failures, uh, even shame maybe, is like a sign that you have a great deal of caring for your kids. Correct. I agree with that. Yeah. Feeling like a failure means that you're not a failure, otherwise you wouldn't feel it. Correct. But you have to watch where your bar is set. And when you start setting your bar, this is the thing of like, if I don't look like the lady in the fashion magazine... I am not pretty. Like, where is your bar set? That person is a genetic freak who's been photoshopped into oblivion. Like, that should not be your personal bar for how you look. You're never going to look like that person. And no other human being on earth is ever going to look like that person because that's not really a person. It's a cartoon character. But in the same way in parenting, I come from an extremely high-achieving, successful group of humans. and. My brother has four kids who are all going to go to Ivy League schools and are all going to be on paper. And they are like awesome people in general, but like they're just extremely high achieving in a million ways that seem very untouchable for me. And if I make my life about if my kids don't achieve the same exact kinds of things that my brother's kids achieve, they are going to be failures. I am going to be a bad parent and they're going to be unhappy children. And I have to be very careful of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Then then it's, then that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If you, if you think your kids are less than, then you're going <laughs> to instill that idea in them, which really is failing as a parent. And we're chasing someone else's goal. Like it may not be our goal. And there are people within my universe who may see my children as failures if they do not meet certain bars that I'm not sure they are or going to want to meet. And that is something I have to stay out of. And this applies in my family to extremely high achievements at education. In some people's family, it applies to like extremely high achievements in sports, extremely high achievements in like church activities, whatever it happens to be. You have to watch other people's goals because that leads to a feeling of failure. And I feel it. I definitely like, that's my like gerbil pellet. You know, I'm talking about like the gerbil experiment where like the the gerbil hits the button over and over again to get the, the treat or whatever. Like that, I realized that like high academic achievement by my children is my gerbil pellet. And like, I want them to keep touching that because that's where I get my shock of reward. It's like, oh, your child is a very advanced reader. Like, I feel the dopamine surge, like, go when someone praises my child in very specific ways. We're not an athletic family, so the fact that my kids are, like, uncoordinated messes and none of them play sports, nobody cares about that in my family. That's not the gerbil pellet for our family. You got to watch those things. I think another way that we can, like, start to make this a little bit better for ourselves is I think, like, when you when you feel like a failure, part one is I did this thing 
and I'm a terrible parent. And then there's a, there's an implicit part two, which is, and like other people would never do this. I'm the only one who yells at my kids because they don't talk to me nicely, right? Like just stupid. Like, yep, nobody else has ever done that except me. Nobody else has ever felt this way or had a kid that was throwing blocks in the block corner. And of course that's not the case, but we don't, we try to keep this sort of mask of capability up in front of each other. We're not vulnerable with one another as parents very often about like this happened today and I feel horrible about it. And when we are, it's so incredibly helpful. Like sometimes I scream at my kids in the car. Like I can't, like I really need to like, I can't have too much conversation going on at once and certainly not fighting. Like don't be screaming at each other while I'm trying to drive on the highway. It makes me crazy. It makes me feel really, really anxious. And I have to like come in on top of them to get them to stop. And I feel really like a failure every time I do that. And then a friend of mine, this was years ago. She said like, oh, I had such a bad day. Like the kids were being like this in the car. And the, and she she told me that she had, you know, turned around and screamed at them and this and and that she just felt so bad about it. And it was such a a, a gift to me as a friend because I was like, you, you do that? I do that. I do that too. And we just had this sort of three minute conversation about like, oh, it's so hard. And I never, I think of her when I kill up my kids in the car sometimes and like, she's a great mom and she does that. She did it once, so I must be okay too. And I think we have to sort of share our stuff with each other a little more than we do and quit trying to look like we're managing everything all the time. It is so true. And I will give this insight without judgment because I count myself in this category. But the moms who I know who are the most presentational about how successful and happy their kids and their lives are, are the most anxious and unhappy moms that I know. Yeah. And I have been that mom. And I sometimes, I, I sometimes am that mom where I'm like, it is very, very important to me that other people think my kids are polite and successful and wonderful. And I mean, we talked about this on the teacher's episode. Like when I have a teacher who doesn't like one of my kids, my first instinct is like, what kind of moron teacher are you? Like I, it's, it's difficult for me to see my kids as struggling and for someone else to bring that information to me is very difficult. But it is my strongest observation as a mom that the anxiousness and the unhappiness that most weighs down motherhood is about pretending that your kids are something other than what they are. And pretending that your life and your motherhood is something other than it is. Mm-hmm. And it is okay. There is no, this is something that is so much bigger in your mind than in other people's minds. Whenever no one, this is my, from my advice episode where my ex told me, you would be so much more relaxed if you realized how rarely anyone else ever thought of you. Everyone out there, you would be so much less, you would think of yourself so much less as a failure if you realized how rarely other people thought about your kids. And you would think of yourself so much less as a failure if you stop comparing your inside with other people's outside, right? If you're comparing your your internal roiling emotions, like, oh, I did this today and nobody else ever does this with the other people who you see posting on Facebook, so proud of Riley Jane for getting another, you know, gold medal in gymnastics this weekend. Like she yelled at her kids in the car too. She's not going to talk about that. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. 
right, her like handmade banner for the kid's birthday party. Like, right. That's what she's putting on Facebook, not the other stuff. Right. Don't compare your your inner self to somebody else's Facebook self. It's not, it's not a good comparison. And this is something that I have to, we talk a lot about on the podcast about back to one, which is Amy's set thing, like on a TV set, they say back to one and you go back to where everything started. Everything goes back just where it was. This is an ultimate back to one thing. Every time someone tells me the name of the, a book their kid is reading, I'm like, could my my kid the same age read that book? I'm not sure. Are they at that same rating level? Like, I constantly do this in my head, but I have unlocked a secret to my personal happiness by letting go of some of this stuff. And I will say I have a kid who struggles with some stuff, academics, sports to some degree, coordination. He has some struggles. He's doing amazingly, but I have found it over the course of several years to be such a gift in my life to have a kid who struggles a little bit more because I think if I had not had that, and I had had three like very excelling kids, I would have stayed in this rat race a lot longer because I would have been like, my kid's the best. My kid is, I I mean, I come from an academic family. We're big readers. Like we work with the kids in their homework. Like I could have easily had three kids who were like top of their class and never struggled with anything and thought like, I'm on the top of the mountain and I'm running as fast as I can because I'm going to keep my first place spot. Then I had a kid who struggles with a lot of things and we're not going to be in that first place spot. Like we're not going to be the number one academic kid who also is the captain of the football team. And it's been a real gift in my life to be like, oh, I'm going to drop a lot of those expectations. And like, it's so freeing. It's it's really a positive. Mm-hmm. I like that. And, you know, you can change the messaging around feeling really deeply about stuff, right? Like when, if your kid is struggling with reading, as a for example, and you're feeling really bad about that, that you really, you know, you tried this thing, you are doing stuff at home and it's still not working and what should we do now? And you're feeling like a failure. You can, of course, that's going to be your first thought. It's like Lisa Damore when we, when we interviewed her a couple of weeks back and she was talking about anxiety and how like your first thought is your first thought and and she's realized over time it's kind of useless to prevent that first thought from occurring. Like don't, don't feel like a failure. Don't feel like a failure. You can't, you can't do that. You're going to have that like feeling of shame wash over you briefly. Fine. That's your first thought. Let that happen. And then pay attention to your second thought. Like I'm doing my best for this kid. I care so much. No, no failure would do that, right? A failure as a parent would just be good luck kid. You are caring. Your kid is not getting on the bus to Poughkeepsie. You are loving him the next morning and making him breakfast. You get a gold star. (laughs) Let's see, Amy. Let's see how the week goes. But yeah, so far he's not getting on the bus. <laughs> it's very you important. You have to practice compassion. Practice compassion with yourself. And as in all things, it's a really good way to, to model it for your kids too. Like, I feel really bad that I didn't get this right. and But, that, but that's silly because I, I did try and I learned something. And, you know, the, the, the reframing that we can do of these moments when it's appropriate, sometimes it's inappropriate when it's about your kids to like talk about it out loud. But but when it's about yourself, reframe it. Let your kids see you saying, I feel this way. And isn't it silly? I'm comparing myself to somebody's perfect life. I think that's a great thing to do is to really like open open that door a little bit. And like for yourself, just realize how much of the like advertising industrial complex is working to be like, you have weird hair, you have, you know, a bad body, like you are not 
completely doing everything you could for your kids, like that really try to reframe a little bit like, hey, I'm doing okay, you know? And you are, you actually are doing fine. You're doing great at this. And don't let anyone else tell you differently. I think we should end on that. That's a good message. Go, you know, now go out there and make it a great day. (laughs) (laughs) We definitely solved it. You guys, we got to do this for each other. We got to do it for ourselves. We got to tell other people like, hey, it's harder than you think, but I'm getting through it. You know, we got to stop like throwing rocks at other people and be like, ah, did you see like her kid vapes? She's terrible. (laughs) Like, no, it doesn't work that way. You're not any farther in the race because other people are doing badly. I have never shared a struggle as a parent, as a mom specifically. This is something that moms do, but only sometimes, right? But I've never had that moment where I'm like, some, and I'm going through this and it's so hard, where the other mom doesn't immediately answer back, I know exactly what you mean, right? I've been there too. And this is, and this is, you know, where I've felt that way. Like if you can, if you have a couple of really good wing moms that you can really feel vulnerable with and share the stuff and share these feelings, they will make you feel better. Don't carry this yourself. Get rid of it. Discharge it because they'll, they'll, they'll make you feel better. Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. And like all that stuff, if you're projecting onto other people perfection, you're wrong. And if you're projecting onto yourself failure, you're wrong. Like we're all muddling through this and the kids are all right. That's where we land. We want to hear from you guys what you do when you feel like a failure to turn it around. And there's a couple of ways you can tell us. You can go to our Facebook page and group, which if you just search What Fresh Hell Podcast, you'll you'll find them both. The page, we talk to you. The group, you guys talk to each other, which is awesome. And I really want to point you to the Facebook group on this one, guys, because it's a conversation between the people who listen to the podcast and people are just so great and supportive there. I'm loving the way the group is coming together. Like people are talking to each other and they're like, yeah, this is tough. It's exactly where you want to be if you're struggling with stuff. (laughs) Right. Admit your failures there. It's a safe space. It is a safe space. I love it. You can also find us on Twitter at WFH Podcast. And on Instagram at What Fresh Hell Cast, and always on our website, whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Guys, go out and be awesome because you are, and we will talk to you uh, next week. 